Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. This episode centers around the drugs being used experimentally to treat COVID-19 and what we know about how these drugs impact pregnant women. The links to the studies and drug information discussed on this episode can be found at yourfertilitypharmacist.com. Before delving into the drugs, I'll briefly touch upon the limited information we have about how COVID-19 impacts pregnant women. The good news is there have not been any confirmed cases of mothers transferring coronavirus to the baby in utero. Having said that, the limited information we have about delivery outcomes is concerning. A recent article in the Journal of Infection detailed the delivery outcomes from 13 Chinese women who were pregnant and tested positive for coronavirus. They ranged in age from 22 to 36 years old. They had no pre-existing health conditions. Two women were in their second trimesters, and the other 11 women were in their third trimesters. Six of the 11 women who were in the third trimester went into early labor related to fetal distress, premature membrane rupture, and even one had a stillbirth. The two women who were in their second trimesters did not go into early labor or have any other fetal consequences noted. I really hope that the researchers keep close tabs on those two pregnancies so we can learn more about the impact of second trimester coronavirus infections. Since a lot of these pregnancies had complications, having a treatment for COVID-19 could improve the health of infected mothers and babies. Regarding medications to treat COVID-19, there are a few drugs that seem promising for an illness that doesn't yet officially have a cure. A drug that's been receiving a ton of press lately is chloroquine, as reports from China and France suggest that it's effective against COVID-19. Chloroquine was originally approved by the FDA in 1949 to treat malaria, and it was later approved to treat lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. Since chloroquine has been used and tested for so many decades, we have information on how this drug impacts pregnant women and their babies. Chloroquine does cross from the placenta and into breast milk. In mice and monkey babies, this crossover led to vision problems and blindness. These eye problems were not seen in human studies conducted a decade ago in Thailand and in New Guinea on pregnant moms requiring malaria prophylaxis. Thus, the reference book Drugs in Pregnancy and Lactation considers chloroquine to be the unlikely cause of birth defects in humans. This guidebook also states that the benefits of preventing and treating malaria outweigh the risks. This permission to use in malaria could potentially be extrapolated to treatment of COVID-19. But before getting too gung-ho about stockpiling chloroquine, a more promising sister drug to chloroquine should be considered. Hydroxychloroquine is chloroquine with a slightly different chemical structure that makes it less toxic yet just as effective as chloroquine for malaria and for immune-mediated disorders. It was approved by the FDA in 1955, and it goes by the brand name of Plaquenil. Scientists, and therefore the mainstream media, have gotten very excited about using this drug because of a small study from southern France on treating coronavirus. In this small study, 14 infected patients received hydroxychloroquine alone, and 6 patients received hydroxychloroquine plus an antibiotic called azithromycin. And 16 patients served as the control group, which didn't get hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin at all. After six days, the virus was cleared from the system of all six patients taking both hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. And from the patients who were taking hydroxychloroquine alone, eight out of 14 patients cleared the virus. In the 16 patients who didn't receive hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin, only two of the patients cleared the virus after six days. These encouraging results were only published five days ago. Since then, hoarding of the medication has become a national issue. 
It's such an issue that the FDA is permitting a factory in India that was recently cited for multiple quality issues to ramp up supply of hydroxychloroquine to import to the U.S. The study inspiring the hydroxychloroquine shortage specifically excluded pregnant women. Given that it's safe to use in pregnancy and other conditions, plus it is generally considered to be safer than chloroquine, it would be reasonable to assume that it would be safe in pregnant women infected with COVID-19. Of the drugs being used to treat COVID-19, hydroxychloroquine is the drug I would feel most confident endorsing for safety and efficacy in pregnant women at this time. I'd also recommend taking it with azithromycin to increase chances of clearing the virus. Though I've already given my endorsement to hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin to treat COVID-19 in pregnant women, I'd be remiss as a pharmacist if I didn't discuss another promising drug that's also gotten a lot of attention lately. It's an antiviral called remdesivir, which is not officially FDA-approved for any illness in the U.S. It's allowed for compassionate use, meaning that a patient may be able to gain access to the drug through the manufacturer if in a life-threatening condition and when there isn't a good alternative treatment available. The manufacturer of this drug has seen such a surge in requests to use remdesivir during the pandemic that they just cut off new requests to use it, except in pregnant women and in children under 18. So, while it remains available to pregnant women, is it actually safe and effective? In 2018 and 2019, remdesivir was given to six pregnant Congolese women infected with Ebola who were enrolled in a clinical trial looking at four investigational drugs to treat that illness. The trial was published in December 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine. Unfortunately, after looking over the study and all of the published information, there's very little detail on how these six pregnant women responded to remdesivir. We don't know their ages, how far along they were in their pregnancies, etc. One reason that the trial may have given so little focus to so few pregnant women taking remdesivir is because two other drugs in the study were found to be more effective at treating Ebola, so they stopped giving remdesivir in favor of the other drugs. I gleaned the study for details and read in the supplementary index about the adverse events broken down by patient and by drug. One of the other experimental drugs mentioned a baby born with hydrocephalus and another baby that was born with a shortened umbilical cord. Because these adverse outcomes were mentioned in a drug that was not remdesivir, can we assume that remdesivir does not cause fetal harm? Personally, I think we still have too little information. Six pregnant women taking a drug is simply not enough to draw useful conclusions. In the short term, we will have to look at press releases and case reports for pregnant women who took remdesivir through compassionate use. According to upcoming U.S. studies listed on clinicaltrials.gov, only one of the three remdesivir trials is specifically excluding pregnant women from participating. So, Hopefully, we will have some concrete data once the two inclusive trials have ended. To see the studies mentioned in this episode, please feel free to check out yourfertilitypharmacist.com. That concludes today's episode. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in. 